And so the uh, all the clothes getting washed today for the first time since school let out probably, and uh, <laughs> we'll have a full clean uh, closet stacked with clean clothes. And so uh, everybody's excited about that. And I know we're looking forward to good things from our summer's kids and hearing about all of their successes and getting to be a part of Backpack buddy, back, back, back Buddies will be kicking off here uh, before too long. And so we look forward to uh, hearing about that too. So there's an old adage in golf that says it's not how you drive, it's how you arrive. And now for those who have ever ridden with my dad, you would say it is how you drive and if you arrive. But in golf, it's not how you drive, it's how you arrive. And I love to golf. I love to golf. Some of you have golfed with me. Some of you have played with me. And you know that I must love golf because it's not because I'm so good at golf and why I go out there. So if you don't love golf, the the drive, the the drive in golf is typically that first shot, first stroke on the hole. And so there's a lot of variety that goes into that, too. And some will hit a super far and straight, like my brother Steve Mosley here, right down the line every time. And some will slice it into the tree line. Like, I'm not going to mention any names that I've seen a couple of y'all do. And some will actually hit themselves with the ball when they tee off. Or so I've heard. But some of you have seen that. Don't tell. But if you have a good short game, then you can still finish well on the hole. And so when you put that ball in the hole, it doesn't really matter how you start. What matters is how you do overall and how you finish. And so we've been in Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the great chapter of faith. It's faith chapter in the Bible, although faith saturates every chapter of the Bible from cover to cover. And this particular chapter recalls and holds up several specific people as examples of living by faith. And so we've seen so far, most of them did not start out well. There were moments in their lives when when perhaps their second or third shot hooked into the tree line or maybe the water hazard. And so, but at the end of their life, they were identified as people of faith. And the author of Hebrews focuses specifically on their finishing moments in this section we're in. And, and their stories, their overall stories, take up dozens of chapters of the Bible, but he seems to focus on their dying moments, these last moments as the place where you can identify in their lives that they have lived a life honoring God. And this is not to say that you just make sure that your last moments are, are God honoring and you'll be all right. But what it says is that how we go into that last mile of the way says a lot about how we've been living all along. So we remember Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 1, that faith is this confidence that we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And this is what the ancients were commended for, this confidence, this faith, this assurance. And then the author goes on and he draws out our memories to creation. And so we have, we have faith in creation. And so how many of you were around at creation? I'm not going to call names. I think Bill Ed's probably the only one who can remember back then, but I, I love Bill Ed. And so, uh, seriously though, remember what God asked Job. He says, where were you when I made all of this? Were you there, Job, when I formed the worlds? Well, of course not. None of us were there. But by faith, we believe that all of this around us was made by God. Our world, our universe, all that we can see was put there and brought into motion by God. And then he goes on and he talks about the faith of those like Abel and, and, and Enoch. And in verse 6, we get to, to kind of another dimension of faith. 
Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So this life of faith is about seeking a God whom we cannot physically see. And not just looking for evidence of God, but looking for how we can serve and honor Him in our lives. And so, believing that He rewards those who do so, like Abraham and Sarah. And we've talked about them and and seen faith in their lives. And we've seen how, in verse 13, all these people that he's talking about here in this chapter, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. And this is a dominant theme here in chapters 11 and 12, because none of these received in their lifetimes what God had promised them. They might have gotten a glimpse, just a little drop on the tongue to taste it, but they never got the fullness of it in their lifetime. And we find ourselves, don't we, at times longing for that day when everything comes together, when everything falls into place, when all my relationships are just solid and everyone's joyful and no one around me is sick and the house is clean and and the refrigerator's full, and the vehicle's running perfectly, and the kids have stopped out growing their clothes, and why can't we get to that day? And so we wonder and we long for that. But none of these people gave up on that promise, but they lived with hope for that promise, as Scripture says, throughout their deaths. And so they recognize that the true fulfillment of these promises of God doesn't come until the other side of life. And so he would go on and would say, by faith... Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. And so it may seem on the surface like kind of some random events that he brings out in this long life of these God followers here, but the focus is on the last season of their life. And perhaps in some instance, the the very last moments of life and how that moment, that snapshot exemplifies this life of faith that they've lived. Because faith finishes well. So what does that look like in our life? Well, first of all, faith empowers us to live with strength despite how messy our lives may be. I mean, how many of you recognize that your life is messy? How many of you recognize that the person sitting next to you has a messy life? We recognize that life is messy, but faith enables us to live a life of strength despite the things that don't go perfect. And so we can mistakenly equate strong faith with perfect faith. Well, my faith's not perfect, so it must not be strong. And I would suggest that that faith draws its strength from the assurance that God loves you anyway. And so we remember how John wrote regarding being diligent in following the way of Jesus. And he writes in 1 John 2 and verse 1, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father... Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world, because these people's lives were messy, messed up, messy. And so Genesis is not only a great picture of the the foundation of faith in this God of creation, but it's also a great clinic in how to wreck your family. And so later Isaac is this son of the man who received one of the greatest promises from God and decided to help this promise along by way of his wife's servant, from which came Ishmael. And so later, 
Abraham would send them away into the wilderness, hoping they would disappear. And, and Isaac sees this with his stepbrother. And then at a later point in life, finds himself under the knife of his father, about to be sacrificed. And you've got Jacob and Esau, these twin sons born later to Isaac, into this heated sibling rivalry. And Jacob, the twin born in second place, tricks his father into giving him the, the prized family blessing that rightfully belonged to his older brother Esau. And then Jacob connived with his mother to skin an animal, wrap its hairy skin around himself because Esau was a hairy dude. And then he spritzed himself with Esau's axe spray, goes into his feeble blind father, who also even though he's suspicious, reasons that, okay, you, you feel like Esau, you smell like Esau, you must be Esau. And so Isaac bestows this prized family blessing on the wrong kid. And Esau wants to kill Jacob for a very long time. And then Jacob has some sons of his own, and he made no attempts to hide his favoritism for Joseph. And his brothers came to hate him along with his arrogance and they threw him into a pit. They, they sold him into slavery and they lied about his death for decades. These are the people identified in Hebrews 11 as having great faith. You think we got any hope? <laughs> so we got to remind ourselves that faith is not perfect. Faith is what leads us through our imperfection and points us to the one through whom we are being perfected. And one chapter back, we'll read in Hebrews 10, 14. Robert, am I there? Hebrews 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So there's this gap between who we are and who we need to be in order to be accepted by God. And so we're standing in this gap. We can never span this gap on our own. Even on your best day, you cannot bridge that gap. See, the point of faith is that we need a Savior. That's the point of it. In one chapter back, we read 1 John 3 and verse 2, actually. John paints this good picture of the walk of faith. He says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. See, here's where we are. And there's this gap to where we're moving to. And so God is moving us. He's perfecting us, which doesn't mean perfect the way we use it. It means complete. It means whole. He's perfecting us or completing us in Christ Jesus. And so this, this gap between where we are and where we need to be is filled by Jesus. And so He takes our sin upon Him and we're covered by His righteousness. And so Scripture says that now we're children of God. But do children have room to grow? Absolutely they do. Nowhere in Scripture do we read that we are adults of God. <laughs> we're not adults of God. We're children of God. And I would dare to say, although I'm young in the process, that no matter how old you get and how old your children become, your children will always be your children. Not your adults. They're always your children. We are children of God. And so we have room for improvement. Absolutely we do. And what we will be has not yet been made known. It's this already 
but not yet. We've talked about that before. We're living in the already. We already have the promise, but we have yet to, to actually experience the fulfillment of that promise. We haven't quite developed into it yet. And so there's this movement. Faith moves us forward. And there's growth. And when we see Jesus, it says we're going to be like Him. At that point, we're going to be like Him. And we are being transformed daily. Each day as we walk by faith into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so that's where God is taking us. And you do not have to be perfect to enter this relationship. But when you enter by faith as children, then God grows us along this path. And so John would say in verse 3, All who have this hope in Him purify themselves as He is pure. So walking by faith is, is desiring this movement towards holiness. And Peter spends three years as an intimate friend of Jesus, walking with him, learning from him, and then at the end calls down curses upon himself as he vehemently, adamantly denies that he knows Jesus. But would you say Peter lived a life of faith? Absolutely you would say that. He repented. He turned back to Jesus, and it's not about this one incident. It's about this life of faith. And so Paul was chasing down, Apostle Paul chasing down, watching over the execution of Christians. But God changed him, and God changed his future. And faith allows us to live with this strength despite our messy lives. Are you trusting God with your salvation? And for your salvation, are you depending on your own efforts? Where are you placing your faith? Which is more reliable? (laughs) Putting faith in yourself or putting faith in God? So faith gives us perspective in a very distorted world. And so in verse 21 here in Hebrews 11, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons in worship as he leaned on the top of his staff. So Isaac was misled, we know, by by the the plotting of his wife and his younger son Jacob, misled into giving Jacob the blessing which he had designed, his father had designed for his older brother Esau. And when Jacob was on his deathbed, his son Joseph came into him and Jacob deliberately gave greater blessing to Joseph's younger son. But the author of Hebrews focuses not on these games of rivalry played within these families. They focus on the blessing which Scripture says was based on things yet to come. And so although his earlier life may have been marked by anything but faith, at the end of his days, Jacob relied upon the faithfulness of God and God's promises. God's promise to Abraham that he knew that their people would be settled in Canaan. And the same could be said for Joseph. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Joseph wasn't speaking about things in the past. Joseph was speaking about things long into the future. The exodus, the releasing, the freeing of the slaves of Israel. So Joseph's life certainly presents instances of faith and abundance. He was sold by a slave by his own brothers, wrongly convicted of, of wrongdoing and imprisoned by an Egyptian high official in the government there. And Stephen would retell this in Acts chapter 7 and verse 9. He says, but God was with him. God was with Joseph and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. But the one incident that's singled out by the author of Hebrews to illustrate Joseph's faith and his life of faith, it belongs to the end of his life. That's what he brings out. That's what he focuses on here. Because after everything else is recorded about him, this expresses his conviction regarding things yet to come. It's easy to have faith when you look backwards. I have faith in the blessings that God has given me. God calls us to have blessings in what is yet to come. And that is the challenge of faith. And so Joseph, in Genesis 15, verse 24, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. The end of his life here. But God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land He promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. And so by the grace of God, Joseph's family had come into this life of luxury. I mean, they were living it up. It's a rags-to-riches story here. From nearly dying of famine to reunion with Joseph, who came to be the second most powerful man in the entire kingdom of Egypt. And Joseph now is dying, and he has with, within his grasp all of this luxury, all of this resources, everything you can possibly imagine, he has within his grasp. But Joseph passionately says, this is not my destiny, and I do not want to be buried here. I do not place my hope in these things in front of me. Because the promise on his life is the promise of Abraham to be settled in God's promised land and to be a blessing to the entire world. And that had yet to be realized. And so Jacob made Joseph swear to bury him in that land, which Joseph did swear to do. He did it. And it was at that point when he made this promise, yes, I will do this, that Scripture says Jacob leaned on his walking stick. And he worshiped God. It's a poignant picture to me of, a, of an elderly man here saying, this is not my home, I'm just a passing through. And I've got my walking stick to prove it. I'm a traveler. I'm moving through here. And now Joseph, a few years later, says to his crew, you don't bury me here either. Don't bury me in Egypt. I want to be buried in Canaan also. And his family was large and in charge, but he reminds them that this is not what we were destined for. And so you remember how many years these people, Israel, were in Egypt? We've got 400 years of slavery here, and they weren't large and in charge for you know as long as this new Pharaoh had made them slaves. And they stored Joseph's coffin all those years. I mean, can you imagine the pass around? Hey, whose who's turn is it to keep Joseph? <laughs> you know, oh, we just got a new couch, so we don't have much room. You know, we, we can't. We got to pass it. I mean, can you imagine this? For generations, for centuries. Passed around. Think about what it meant for hundreds of years of slavery to look at those bones of him and remembering that God had promised there's something else. There's more. There's something else coming. And he promised Abraham they'd be in slavery 400 years. And he promised Abraham they would take the land. Second Peter 3 and verse 8 we read, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And we struggle with time. We struggle with it. And when Joshua led them into the promised land centuries later, they buried Joseph's bones just as he had asked. And this 
generation far removed from the sound of God's voice to Abraham reflects on the trustworthiness of God. He said He would give them the land. They've talked about it for generations. And now, they have the land. And I think about my grandparents. I think about so many of our family here at at Summers Avenue who longed for the return of Jesus. And essentially, at the end of their lives, still standing with their walking stick, not done with their journey, still hoping and resolved in their heart that just because it hasn't happened yet, doesn't mean that it's not true because Jesus is going to return. He has promised that He will. And you think about the millions of Christians over the centuries since Christ ascended back to heaven who have clung to the promises that He's going to return and He's going to free creation from the bondage of this slavery to sin that we're in. And Hebrews says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. And we're called to remember how these were still living by faith when they died so that we will live by faith even unto death. Faith gives us a perspective in a distorted world. And so we should be open to be used by God in whatever way He will use us while we're on this earth. But we must not put our hope in something that's fading away. And so what is your time and your effort and your money and, and, and what you daydream about? What does all that say about where you have placed your hope and in what you are hoping for, what you're working for? What does that say about you as you reflect on that? What is the ultimate goal that you're living for based on the life you're living? Faith allows us to finish well and to share God's blessing with the next generation. We call it imparting faith. We've talked about that for the last several years, been focused on that. And these pictures here in Scripture, these last moments in in the lives of those who were living by faith, how did they finish? They finished well. They finished well. They didn't give up their faith in their 20s when they were tempted with all the different ways that they wanted to explore what God had, had put boundaries on. And they didn't walk away from faith in their 30s and their 40s when they had kids. And when life sometimes got dark and tough and dropped problems that they weren't expecting into their lives like a military operation. They didn't give up on God in their 60s when retirement wasn't all it was cracked up to be or when it didn't come at all. And they didn't give up on faith in their 80s when their eyes failed them and their legs could no longer support them. They finished well. See, Isaac and Jacob's seeing eyes gave out. But their eyes of faith remained strong. And as the words of the Lord through Isaiah echo this promises of God that one day salvation from the evil of this world is going to be brought to light. We read in his chapter 49 and verse 15. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget... I will not forget you. And so Joseph was a stud of a young man. He was confident. He was resilient. He was tight with God. He was intelligent. He was a person of character, a person of integrity. He was ridiculously successful. And he was also a superstar of an old man. He ran to the finish line. He ran through the finish line. You runners know you don't. You're, the finish line is not the goal. You don't run to the finish line. You run through the finish line. 
In baseball, you run through first base. You don't stop at first base. You run through the base. It's the difference between slacking off at the end and finishing strong. And so Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12 says that not that I have already obtained all of this, all this hope, all that he's been looking for. I have not arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All the way through the line, Paul goes. And there are so many examples at Summers of those who are finishing well. They're finishing well, still engaged, still seeking God's leading, still imparting faith to the next generation, investing their lives in what lies beyond, running strong even when their bodies don't allow them to run hard anymore. You can run strong even when you can't run hard. And by faith, Isaac, when he was dying, he blessed Jacob and he blessed Esau. And by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed each of Joseph's sons. And by faith, Joseph, when he was near the end of his life, when kept everyone's focus on the, the, the future promises of God. Very concerned with passing on blessing to the next generation so that faith would not die with them. Modeling this personal responsibility to finish well and, and prioritizing the passing on of faith and, and the promise to those who come behind to extend what you have learned and where you have come from to those who are reaching for something to hold on to. So to what extent are you living to pass on this blessing of God to the next generation? If you're a parent or a grandparent, well, obviously this is on your heart. It's on your heart probably quite a bit. But there's also this aspect, this, this the dimension of community. That we're all in this together. To pass on this good news. To pass on the promises. To pass on this life of faith. Because the author and the perfecter of our faith, he has this to say in Matthew 6 and verse 19. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And living by faith is finishing well. Because the power of Christ fills that gap between who we are today and who we're called to be. That's the power of Jesus Christ. So what is the goal that you are living for? What's the goal? What, what are you hoping for today? Jesus is the hope of salvation. He's the one that leads us to this goal of glorifying God. So is your life headed in that direction of a strong finish? Are you following the path that Jesus will will always lead you in the right direction. And His Spirit strengthening you for the journey. So to what extent today are you living to pass on God's blessing to the next generation? It's hard to do. It's hard to pass on a blessing when your eyes are clouded by sin. It's hard to pass on faith when you're struggling with your own. That's where the strength of God's Spirit comes in. He's promised it to us. He's given it to us. It's a guarantee. It's a promissory note that something else is coming. Something complete is coming. The rest is coming. 
This will have to get you by. Not only that, but I will walk with you. I will never leave you. And I will never fail you. This morning, if you're struggling with sin, you can use the prayers of this community of faith, this congregation of the Lord's church today. We want to pray with you to strengthen you, to encourage you. If you are not a child of God, if you have not been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, what are you waiting for? Because God has promised you eternal life, but you must take hold of that promise. And the only way you can do it is through Jesus Christ, His Son. So this morning, as we stand and sing this song, will you come and place your faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Will you come?